Dan Hayes and the Dr. Greg Sadler here for <laughs> Wisdom for Life. Glad to be here. Um, so today we have a very apt topic. We are talking about fear and anxiety. And um, how to deal with crises as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, one skin, um, we are here doing a radio show for practical philosophy. Yeah, so the idea behind this show is that philosophy and ideas, concepts, distinctions, practices from it can be useful for helping people to live a better life. And sometimes living a better life, which sounds very positive, is about how to deal with things that uh, on their face seem and quite often are quite negative. So, you know... We are kicking around the idea about uh, what topic to focus on next after our first show, and we had something in mind, and boom, now we're in a state of emergency. So we thought that we would uh, change it up a bit and talk about something quite topical, which is going to become, I think, evergreen in the sense that we're always going to be dealing with one crisis or another. So it's something good to tackle right away, I think. Yeah, life is what n- nothing but a, a series of uh, tests put in front of you, and how you deal with them is going to very strongly impact your day-to-day happiness, your calmness, your tranquility of mind. Yeah, you know, and we should talk about the idea of crises. In in Greek, crisis is sort of a de- deciding point. It's literally a decision, right? Um, and and so. A lot of people get into difficult situations, like the one we're in right now, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll pl- plumb the depths and, and discuss why people are so afraid uh, more so than at other times. Um, but, you know, crises present us with an opportunity to choose differently, to, to use them to work upon ourselves. And I know this, this probably sounds to a lot of listeners in the actual crisis that we're in, sort of pie in the sky Pollyannish, but but it's not. It's if you want to live a life that's relatively free of fear and uh, you, where you orient yourself towards what, what it is that you actually want to do and, uh, you know, the relationships that you want to have and all of those sorts of things, then, you know, using this, this crisis that we're in now caused by the coronavirus, but a lot of other things as well, mm-hmm. um, is, is probably a good idea. And every time that we have a crisis, it is a opportunity to uh, reflect upon how we've done and see how we can move forward in a better way. And I have no doubt that we will eventually weather this particular crisis, and hopefully we can take good stock of the different things and the decisions, the crises that have happened, um, and figure out better, newer processes and procedures that will uh, help us in the future, just like all of our things that we're trying to talk about here on Wisdom for Life. 
I'm talking about practical philosophy. Yeah, and, and now let me ask you, so we'll make this a little <laughs> bit more dialogical, taking stock of it, right? Mm-hmm. We might not actually succeed in taking stock of it on a national level, right? No. Um, maybe, <clears throat> maybe it leads to some important political changes and programs and realizations, or maybe it doesn't. And, uh, but So what do you mean by, by taking stock? Is it something more individual or something more social but at a lower level than, say, the nation as a whole? I guess taking stock is at any place where there is a decision to be made. And so obviously it is very useful for an individual. Um, it's useful to take stock each night and think about your decisions that you did that day. Um, even, you know, you might want to do it more often than even that. But, you know, whenever you have, it's going to be individuals that are put into places of power um, that are making these decisions. And it's for them, each person that is making these decisions to take stock at that level. And sometimes those things affect only one person and sometimes those things can affect billions. Okay. So, you know, before we jump into talking about the actual crisis that we're in, (laughs) which may seem a little dismal, I just had a thought. Um, You know, it it strikes me, so we're talking about opportunities, and a lot of this show is about how to uh, implement and understand philosophical practices that will, over time, make your life better. Um, This is what we call philosophy as a way of life. And I I was just thinking that because people right now are – um, maintaining social distancing and also to some degree self-quarantining. Yeah, we're not exactly six feet away from each other the way we're <laughs> supposed to be here, but we, ideally, you know, uh, we, we would be a little bit further apart. But um, there's going to be a lot of people who are staying in their places. They've stockpiled stuff. Their, you know, uh, college classes, for example, are now going online. People are working from home. Uh, there's a whole other conversation to be had about the fact that we, you, people, people have been told that they couldn't work from home in the past, and now suddenly it's, it's available for them to do so as an option, and even mandated. But during that time of being stuck at home, and avoiding, say, public transport or other things, doesn't that strike you as a, a, a really great time to introduce new habits, new routines into one's life? I mean, if you know that you're, you're, you don't have to like immediately get out and hop on the bus or mm-hmm. do your morning commute or something like that, and you're going to be working from home and you know what the hours for that are going to be... Um, Maybe it's the, the time you mentioned taking stock of things at night, you know, yeah. that that practice, that, that's a good one. But maybe during the day as well. Well, you make a good point. Like a lot of us have a certain morning routine that we have set up. And a lot of times we haven't thought about it just like, okay, what are the things that I need to get done right at this exact moment yeah. in order to get myself to the place where, you know, the boss isn't going to yell at me for not being there on time. Or, you know, my students in your case would be um, like, where is... Where's Professor Sudler? Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of our morning routines are basically, you know, like little crises. Get get the stuff done in the morning so we can get that get out of there and mm-hmm. get, you know, wherever we need to be. And like you said, keep the boss from uh, getting angry with us for, for not being where we're supposed to be or not, not, you know, doing the thing that we're supposed to do or looking busy at least. Oh, you looking know? busy. That is another show altogether. <laughs> How to look busy. I mean. <laughs> um. And um, if you can 
there's there's many different ways that you can like start your morning and maybe you're like okay how do we have yeah. a more calm mind in the morning instead of being in this racing setting and i uh, will okay i have a the opportunity to you know experiment with different ways of doing these things of of saying okay can i give myself a little bit more time um do i sit down and like i don't know meditate or just like think about what's going to happen that day and and uh figure out if there's anything there that will allow me to then have a better day altogether yeah you know so meditating is a is a good way to start the morning and doing that sort of morning preview one that's not uh let's say all that internet connected so you're not like checking all the news oh. and seeing what what you know what twitter has to contribute but but rather just sort of re- rehearsing in your mind okay I, got, I need to do this i need to do this i think another thing that i've i've often tried to introduce and sometimes succeed for a while and a lot of people find quite valuable is um devoting a time you know like maybe half an hour or an hour of reading mm. reading a particular text or um, you know, particular thinker, particular movement or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be quite good. But, you know, let, let's talk actually about why waking up in the morning and immediately checking your phone for the latest news during a crisis um, might not be the, the best way to, to begin. Well, I mean, would... there could be some cases where it would be, though, Oh, right? yeah. Like if there's pertinent information that you need to know. Um, and, but if it's like a general kind of overall feeling of malaise about what is just going on, especially if you're talking about political things and like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you just fill yourself with, you know, dread or something because someone that you don't like is doing things that you don't like, um, that's just going to color your entire day with yeah. that. But I wanted to go back because, like, we're talking about waking up in the morning. Okay. And a lot of times it requires time. And so you need to even go back further. And you should be starting your morning routine before you go to bed. Figure out what time that you're going to go to bed in order to make sure that you have the time in order to uh, do all these things that you want to do to make sure that your day in your life goes uh, smooth or as smooth as possible in this yeah, that's true. So, I mean, World. another yeah, that that's a good thing to point out is, uh, you know, getting enough sleep, um, which sounds very easy to do, but is often quite difficult in practice. Turns out to be important not just for physical health, but also for mental health and and being able to follow through on things that we commit to because we don't have an infinite supply of of what people like to call willpower. You know, mm-hmm. um, and the more sleep deprived we are, the the worse off we are. So we should talk about the the reasons why people are staying up at night, uh, waking up in cold sweats, and worrying about m- maybe whether they're not sick or not. Um, well, I think that fits right into our topic here, which is yeah. fear and specifically anxiety. Yeah, and and so, you know, right now we're in the middle of a health crisis. And, it you know, there'll be other ones after this. Uh, we've had other health crises before this. So, it's it, it, you know, in talking about this, we're not doing something that's just of the moment, um, but could be applicable to other cases as well. But what we're, what we're in right now, it does seem to be quite bad. 
and mm-hmm. nobody nobody really knows how how bad it's going to be or uh, whether it's all going to blow over. There's lots of people making predictions, but since we're we're stuck in a a strange epistemological position where we don't actually know how many people are infected, mm-hmm. and we're now gathering more and more information as time goes on. Um, we we can't make accurate predictions. Uh, what we do know is that you know here in where where we're, we're living in in Milwaukee, um, schools are you know uh, sending their students home and saying switch to online, which makes sense. A lot of workplaces are doing similar things with working from home. Um, it's pretty rough for people in the restaurant industry because not a lot of people are going there, but they're being told they need to come into work. And same with the retail industry where people are buying things out of uh, uh, stock, mm-hmm. <laughs> including toilet paper of all all things. And there's, there's sort of a sense of, I, I won't call it generalized panic, but um, there is a there is a palpable fear in the air, I would say. And then you know, just just a, a little earlier, we had an actual national state of emergency declared, and we see that it's you know, around the world. There's lots of places that are much worse off than us, mm-hmm. and there's some that are doing quite a bit better. Um, so you know, we can talk about this as being a, a major crisis, and then it's not just a health crisis; it's also a financial crisis. We saw the stock market take. Uh, a huge tumble in part because supply chains have been disrupted. And I mean, wh- what else should we say about this? It's so it's health, it's financial and work and uh, stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, you know, and going back again to like retail and restaurant workers, um, a lot of them are in quite a difficult situation where they're, they're being told they have to show up for work. And if mm-hmm. they don't show up for work, um, they'll get in trouble. And if they call in sick, they only get so many times to do that. And so, you know, people are being told contradictory things, you know, everybody should be at home with two weeks or a month worth of stockpiled stuff. But, you know, a lot of people don't have the money to stockpile all these groceries, let her, you know, alone the, the time to, to go out and compete with everybody else to, to get these. So it is a time I think in which people are afraid. And it's going to lay bare a lot of the inefficiencies in our system. It's going to show where the cracks are. Yeah, that's quite true. And and some of the fears that people have are, you know, less vital. Mm-hmm. Let's say, I mean, some people are, are really afraid that they're going to get sick and they're going to die. Um, if if you're immune compromised right now, I, I can quite understand being quite fearful. And then there's other people who have fears, but they're things like, am I going to get my tuition money back for this class that now uh, may or may not run? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, what am I? There's things that are in between, like, uh, am I homeless now that uh, the dorms are closed to students? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm talking a lot more about. Uh, educational stuff in part because uh, that's that's what I'm seeing from my vantage point. Maybe you should say a th- few things about what you think are particularly vital and fear-producing for people. Um, I guess uh, from my vantage point, I see more of the, um, the worry about, uh, especially if you're hourly working, uh, yeah. you have, you're not a salary position that you're going to have your income stream um, dry up soon and then you know what do you pay rent how do you pay rent how do you put food on the table you know um there's uh there was a study a couple years ago saying that uh more than half of americans couldn't uh 
whether a $500 um, unexpected expense, which seems like this is going to be definitely a $500 expense, especially if you're you're losing hours, you're losing um, the the general day-to-day workings. Um, But I wanted to talk about uh, what is a, a rational fear and what's an irrational fear here? Okay, so yeah, let's jump into the discussion about fear. There's, you know, there's a lot of different theories of emotion talking about what fear is, and one that y- you and I have in common is uh, taking the Stoic perspective. And, and I think the Stoics, they were right in saying that what what fear is at its core, and and they lumped a lot of things in there under the the rubric of fear, phobos in in Greek, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that we get phobia from. Um, they thought that it's the sort of perception of something bad that is not yet present. So we don't, you know, when we have something that's bad that's present, we don't feel fear as such. We feel pain, or we feel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some some sort of upset. But so so fear is is an apprehension of something as being bad, being harmful, being, being damaging to us. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it extends over into other, if you understand it in this broad sense, it, it, it's, it's affiliated with other emotions like, uh, repugnance or disgust, right? Mm-hmm. Not quite exactly the same thing, but you know, within the same, the same family. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the question is, um, should we, should we never fear anything? Well, even the Stoics who are pretty you know when it comes to emotions most of them they 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 want to um wean us away from they thought there was a rational type of fear uh, and there were a lot of different subclasses of it that they called caution mm-hmm. eulabea in greek and um what's what's the deciding factor whether it's actually rational and not not rational in the sense that we can rationalize it to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if I'm, if I'm, we'll, we'll get away from crises for a moment and talk about relationships. If I'm chronically afraid that my partner is going to cheat on me, that's not a rational fear, unless they are like a, you know, a track record cheater or something. Yeah. Like, in which case, well, that might be a little rational. And you mm-hmm. can say, well, why are you with them if, if you want to, you know, or do you want to be constantly worried about that? But, um, you know, there, there are some things where it is rational to fear it not not just in the sense of being able to provide a rationalization for it but we can provide a rational account for why this thing is fearful if mm-hmm. if i uh you know for if there's ex- a army outside your door it yeah is, is good caution to uh you know prepare your troops in order to fend off this army i was going to take something like right in front of us <laughs> so we're watching cars go back and forth on on center street here and if if you were to walk me out in the middle of the street and you had a blindfold on me, I should be scared I'm going to get hit, right? Yes. That uh, If I'm not, there's something wrong, um, <laughs> given the way people drive around here. <laughs> it was, it was good. I was just going to say, there might be something wrong with Milwaukee and their driving in that regard. Well, I think you can pick any city <laughs> yeah. and get, get that sort I, of thing. Um. So this reminds me of the quote by uh, Seneca, a man who suffers before it is necessary suffers more than is necessary. Or in other words, he who suffers or he who worries suffers twice. And this is the yeah. idea of, you know, you can be cautioned and you can take preparation, but if you are in the uh the state of mind of the um uh the, bads, fear- the, the, bads, the the fearful state of mind yeah. before before things are apparent that they 
actually will come to pass, then you are uh, making it more difficult for you to even deal with the situation when it arises. Right. The worrier, the person who fears when it's not really the right time for that fear, when it's not, when it's not conducive. I mean, we do have our fear instinct, uh, which is, is, you know, something very basic to us the way most animals have it because it helps to keep us alive. But there's so many things that we, we don't need to fear at this point in time that, um, we do end up, um, worrying and sometimes even obsessing about. And I think during a crisis, in part because, you know, it's not just that we we have the, the fear of the things that the crisis is, is composed of, you know, say the, the loss of income or getting sick or um, what's going to happen to our loved ones or um, whether it's going to lead to a societal, you know, breakdown in some respect. There's all of that stuff. But then we also have, we're so tapped in with social media and it's just the regular media, you know, TV and stuff like that. I mean, think about every, every doctor's waiting room you go in, there's the TV and it's on, right? Mm-hmm. And it's always on some daytime TV show where talking heads are going back and forth or a bunch of people are sitting around in a circle talking about something. And nowadays they're all going to be talking about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be particularly helpful as well. And, you know, all of that falls within the range of what in ancient philosophy they would call the imaginary, you know. Um, It's easy to imagine that bad things are going to happen. Um, We may have good reasons to think that they are, and if we do have good reasons, we don't have to imagine it anymore. Now we can say, okay, we we project that it will happen, and now we can actually start thinking about what what responses can we have to it, if if any. So this comes to kind of the idea of like what are we going to be doing in the crisis and so yeah the the major the first thing is to get the most accurate information that you can um and then only then should you make a plan of action based on that information ideally yeah yeah i mean it may be difficult in some places mm -hmm. to get accurate information but here here in america we all have access to the internet so there's certain basic uh um you might call them almost like community property that, that we have that we can easily access. And, and there's probably I, some sites we should up. avoid, right? Oh, yeah. But uh, a couple that are definitely very useful at the moment, there's uh, Johns Hopkins uh, oh, yeah, Medical yeah. University, and they have a website up at coronavirus.jhu.edu. has a, a wealth of information as well as a world map of where the current um, cases are. Um, CIDRAP, which is the center, the Centers for Infectious Disease and Policy out of uh, the University of Minnesota, has a uh, another also wealth of information over at um, www.cidrap. That's C-I-D-R-A-P. U-M-N.edu. And then also, you know, we're here in Milwaukee, and Milwaukee Health Department has also put out a uh, page. Um, they put out a. Uh, um, a number of documents that were uh, presented to local businesses in order to uh, help at least give guidelines. And you can find that stuff at city.milwaukee.gov slash coronavirus. You know, and, and something that just came to mind. So we've got really good, uh, reliable information sources, right? And then right. we have a whole bunch of other ones that are 
more sketchy, mm-hmm. uh, all the way to the to the spectrum of uh, essentially sensationalistic. You know, looking for clicks to make money, mm-hmm. and you know what we find in the, dis- the distinction there is the the good sites aren't going to say, oh, everything's great, you know, everything's wonderful. They're going to say, oh, we have a real crisis on our hands, and here's what you ought to do. And um, they do tell you not to overreact. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the sites that are like, you know, the sky is falling <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and buy our silver that will save yeah, you. Well, and, 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 you know, yeah, buy the silver and get the toilet paper right now. You know, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's, there's a bit of a digression, but if you think about the fact that, that toilet paper has become sort of like the prize item, almost like people think it's going to be the currency well, it's after white gold. civilization collapses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that good because you get it wet and, it, you know, I mean, you think paper towels would be better, but. It's not um, very durable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a very, yeah, you're right. So that maybe makes it even more rare, right? Over, over time. Yeah. Um, I mean, who th- who would have thought that we would wind up in a situation where somehow that is, in, instead of gold or, mm-hmm. or, you know, I don't know, bullets, the way you see in post-apocalyptic uh, scenarios or gasoline or something like that, that, that toilet paper would become the prize Maybe item. coronavirus is the harbinger of bidets in the United States. Well, <laughs> I've seen people talking about that and, and, and buying them and... Uh, yeah, it could lead to a societal shift. Well, so let's go back to, to talking about fear. I mean, yeah. um, and rational fear, right? And, and let's think about the toilet paper thing. So mm-hmm. people are going out, and and actually some businesses have uh, now instituted uh, rationing. Yeah, limits on mm-hmm. you can only buy so many cases of it. And there's they, they had a case that I saw on Twitter of somebody going into a Wegmans, buying their uh, the quota, mm-hmm. and then coming back in in a disguise and getting caught. And so, <laughs> you know, when that sort of thing happens, that tells you there's there's something psychological going on, right? right. And, and the fear that's that's driving that, because I don't, there there are, I think maybe, was it you who mentioned that somebody had, was buying up toilet paper to sell it, uh, sort yes. of profiteering? Yeah. Okay, so that's greed. But I think a lot of people are buying it on the basis of fear. And we mm-hmm. won't go into like what the fear actually is too much because we don't want to get scatological here. But um, Nice word choice. Yeah, but I think some the, the fear is redoubled mm-hmm. because if, if I know that you're going to go and buy up a, all the toilet paper available because of your fear, then I have to fear that your fear is going to render me toilet paper less mm-hmm. and then I need to go and buy it myself. So so it's almost like a feedback loop where fear builds off of the perception of other fear. And if we think about this in, in philosophical terms, what we have there is my perception of you perceiving something as, as bad, whether it really is or not, mm-hmm. um, and your reaction to it produces that same thing in me. It's almost, it's similar to what we call in ph- philosophy of emotion, emotional contagion. Mm. Where, um, but but it's not quite the same because this is also based on a semi-rational projection of what you're going to do, and then a, a, a reaction to that. And so that's the situation that we're in. And we could see hoarding with medicine. Well, I mean, think about the the it's going on with hand wipes oh, and, and um, um, hand sanitizers. Exactly. I had to make yeah. my own last week because I couldn't find any. Yeah, uh, stores. Are, some of them are engaging in price gouging. You know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so there, it feels like there's a lot of anxiety going on in response yeah. to this thing. Yeah, there, yeah. there is. And, you know, we can 
so what do we have to say about this from a philosophical perspective? Part of it is um, this isn't serving anybody. It's not making anything better. We're, and we're not here saying, hey, if you feel fear, stuff it down, tough it out, don't, don't feel it or anything like that. But you know, what we'd want to be able to do is examine why, what are we afraid of and why are we this afraid and does it does it serve us to be this afraid? Feeling fear sucks. It's mm -hmm. not a it's not a fun feeling. Are and you doing it automatically, or are you exactly. doing it after you've examined why you're doing it? Yeah, and and ex not just examined it with like a hasty check the boxes kind of thing, but mm -hmm. actually like you know sat down and thought about does this make sense to be afraid? Like if if I find out that the guy who I sat next to on the bus who was coughing into my face tested positive for coronavirus. It's rational to be afraid that I have coronavirus, <laughs> right? Um, mm -hmm. It's not rational for me to think I'm automatically going to die, um, or I, you know, I won't be able to get any medical treatment. Um, those aren't those aren't you know sort of the automatic places that we ought to go. But a lot of people will go there, right? And then uh, bring up a uh, another quote. This one from uh, Marcus Aurelius from the Meditations. It is. If you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. Yeah. So what do, what do you take that to, to mean here in this situation? In this situation, like we have a, we can have a rational, cautious fear or however you want to call that about the situation at hand. And there is a, a, a situation that is is very rational to be cautious about yeah but um to to give into that fear to um be anxious to have those those negative emotions be the things that are deriving your decisions without um any sort of uh examination results in you just uh going along with flow you're now Automatic, the the, right. the, like the slave of your passions and not uh yeah, the other way around, and that gets to the the um, uh, practice that we're going to discuss towards the end of the show, Correct. which is like taking a pause and then examining things. Um, so we'll we'll put that off for just a little bit. Um, but you know, so you're, you're you're you know when we're talking about taking precautions, that can be done in in rational and irrational ways as well, right? Hoarding is is. You know, you could say that hoarding is a rational behavior, but it's not truly rational. It's it's essentially fear or greed driven, mm -hmm. uh, or perhaps even envy driven. You know, the other guy across the way, he's got you know all this stuff piled up. I better do it too. You know, mm -hmm. that and if that's what's driving it, that's that's not very rational. It leads people to make foolish decisions, um, and and often unjust decisions too. I think one of the things that um, we're not you know, we don't talk about that much when it comes to these sort of crises, but is worth reflecting on is if we allow ourselves to be prey to fear, mm -hmm. then we're probably not going to live up to the ethical principles that we normally in, in a non-crisis situation claim to, to, you know, value mm -hmm. and, and to, to make, make central to the kinds of people that we are, but we're really being tested when we're thrown into these these sorts of crises, um, that's when we can see whether we're going to treat our, our neighbors justly or, right. or not. So it kind of makes me think of like the prepper community. 
How so? So um, they they have already stockpiled. So they're not going out and and just tearing out everything from the grocery stores. There's the, and you know if you're just going there and you're doing it in a very selfish way, then you're not thinking about yeah. what is just for your neighbor. But at least for the prepper, um, he's he's thought of this ahead of time and so he's not contributing to the mad rush yeah on and the unthinking on um, hoarding there so if they are then they were a bad prepper right 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 so. <laughs> yeah um so uh there was something from dune that you felt was well quite appropriate I thought, yeah i thought if we're going to talk <laughs> about fear um, now, not everybody in, has read Dune, but it is a very popular science fiction novel, and justly so. Because and there's a brand new film coming out as well. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's this uh, passage very early on in it. And I think a lot of people have seen seen this in different places. Um, and Paul Atreides is repeating this litany against fear to himself. That's actually quite philosophical, right? And it runs, I'll just read it. It says, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And so, you know, this is this is an example of, of a philosophical practice, only it's in a science fiction universe, right? Right. Um, and it's actually, you know, we should we should talk about this and because this is actually a quite good one. Well, just What's because it's fiction it? and science fiction doesn't mean that it doesn't have value, really yeah. applicable value within our real world. Yeah. So this notion of fear is the mind killer. What is what does that mean? So the thing that makes you um it's, it's killing your rationality to one thing, and it also potentially makes you freeze up and not do the things that are necessary when they arise. Yeah, that's true. You know, we often talk about the flight or fight response, mm -hmm. but it's actually nowadays talked about in terms of fight, flight, or freeze mm -hmm. response. And I think we could actually add a third or fourth one, because that's the third mm -hmm. one to it. And we could say uh, flight, fight. Um, what did I just say? Uh, freeze, freeze, or oscillate between things and, mm. and sort of dither and not not get anything done. Um, which I suppose is its own weird way of freezing, but it's like a freezing in motion, mm. you know. Um, and and none of those are none of those by themselves are necessarily productive. There are some situations where we do need to to, to flee, you know. Right. Um, you know, in self defense. Uh, a good instructor will not say, uh, oh, somebody's got a knife. Yeah, punch him in the face or something like that. They'll say, try to get out of there as quick as you can, right? That, that makes sense. Um, fight, sometimes you, you have to do that. And, and freezing sometimes could even be uh, the, the thing to do. If, if, if like taking pause was being done instead of dithering, that could be a good thing as well, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, so, so the mind killer... Um, that's and, that's a good way to call it. And then what what does it mean to allow fear to pass over you and through you and then let it go on so that there's nothing except you? So this is, what does that mean? This is you? kind of a, a preview of coming events. We're, this is part of our um, practice for the day, which is to take a moment. And so to a certain extent, it is uh, you're going to feel fear. You know, this emotion will arise at you like a sneeze. You're not 
choosing. It just kind of comes. And when it comes, you need to experience it and let it pass. What if it doesn't go away when you let it pass, though? What I mean, because there are a lot of people who have... You can call it fearful habits. They've, mm-hmm. been, they've been worrying about something for a long time. Like, you know, let, let, let's use uh, getting sick. There, there are people who are, you know, not necessarily um, obsessive about it, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's in the back of their mind. Say they're, you know, immune compromised or um, they've had a lot of sickness in their family or they know that the people around them aren't washing their hands like you'd, you'd want them mm-hmm. to, right? People around them are coughing. Um, so they, they, you know, they confront their fear, they, mm-hmm. they look at it and, you know, allow it to pass over them and then they look behind it and it's still there. <laughs> right? Uh, what do they do then? Let's see. We should try to reevaluate why we're fearing in the first place, I guess, to, uh, take a little bit of a, a moment of mindfulness and try to maybe examine the way that our mind is processing at the moment. Yeah. You have a, a different idea? Well, I was thinking that that's good. And then, you know, like analyzing, you know, okay, what am I actually afraid of here? And maybe talking it out with somebody can help sometimes. But what if, um, I mean, what if we were to say, okay, I'm going to be afraid. That That's where I am right now. Maybe a year from now in a similar situation with working on stuff, I won't be. But right now I am. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to like drastically change that in the next two weeks that I'm supposed to be, you know, self isolating or something like that. Um, while we're figuring out what's, what's going on with this, this, this virus and, and all the containment efforts and stuff like that. I mean, you can still do the right thing for yourself and for others while you're feeling fear. It mm-hmm. requires a choice to, while you're feeling it, not allow it to, to, to run the show. Right. Right. And so it could be okay that ideally it's better if you're not afraid all the time mm-hmm. of something that you don't need to be afraid of or not afraid to the to the same level, right? I guess this returns back to uh, Socrates' charioteer, or is that Plato? Well, it's Plato. So how do you how do you see that figuring in the the, the Phaedrus uh, metaphor? Yeah, it's the um, the charioteer is the the one that is. Um, reigning in our uh desires both negative and positive oh yeah yeah and you always have the desires Mm -hmm. dragging you around but you you have a choice of what you do with it Mm -hmm. right right okay yeah that makes sense um that's that's actually a good way to look at it yeah so what's um, the the end of this and uh, i look back well, I look back and there, he says, there's nothing. So just, there's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, ideally that would, that would be what happens to us, but mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, a Bene Gesserit so, <laughs> or, <laughs> or Paul Atreides in, in training. And, yeah. and you know, it, when, when you have other, uh, here's another dimension to it. When you have other people in your life, the way most of us do, you know, like I think about my, my kids and fortunately it seems like this virus is not doing too much to kids, but you know, I, I think about what their school's doing and how they're packed in there with all these other kids and turning you know. into little vectors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you think, okay, what's, how, how are the people that I love or care about or in some way are connected with, um, how are they going to be rendered vulnerable to this? Mm-hmm. Um, I might say, well, 
it's not that big of a deal for me. I should actually think it's a big deal for me because I'm, you know, pushing 50. Um, but uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm less fearful about that, but I might be more fearful for those I'm, I'm connected with. Mm-hmm. Or I think about my, my students and how disconcerting this must be for them to be told, hey, we're, we're, we're moving everything online. Um, and, you know, some I, I'm used to teaching online, but I know a lot of my fellow instructors are not. And so they're anxious about it. And I think their students are anxious about it. How is all this stuff going to work out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not particularly resilient, I would say. And so I, I feel... You know, a sense of worry about them, mm-hmm. but you know, how can that? The the key is to not allow that to keep me from doing the things that I need to do, like shifting the class online and mm-hmm. being there to to provide sort of a steady you know hand at the helm for for the class and doing all those sorts of things. Well, this has been a lovely conversation our discussion, and but. Uh, we do have a question. Well, and the question is going to be basically leading <laughs> us further along in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, the, the question uh, stems from worries about the, the current vi- virus. It says, I'm worried about the new coronavirus. They say it's a pandemic and that up to 70% of the world's population may eventually get it. There's already cases here in my home state. I don't want to get sick or have my family get sick. How can I stay safe? And, you know, a lot of the answer to that is provided in those those things that we were talking about earlier, the reliable information sites, right? Mm-hmm. How can I stay safe? That's not something that I think we need to answer. But the I don't want to get sick or have my family get sick. And, and the you know, the idea about there being... 70%, uh, you know, these, these projections that 70% of, of us are going to get it. It's not saying 70% of us are going to die or 70% of us are going to get really, really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a, a projection about, you know, the, the population in a, in a very broad sense, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we want to, when we hear those figures or when we're looking at the current figures and they're like, there's more cases in France, there's more cases in Iran, there's more cases in even Seattle. We don't want to allow those things to get blown out of proportion in our minds. And it's very easy for that to happen, right? Right. So that's something we want to be on guard against, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, to let our minds take us to a place where is not useful information and it's not useful uh, state to be in. Right, yeah. And, that, and that's another thing that we can use as a criterion. Mm-hmm. Um, so the usefulness, right? Yeah, you know, the the here's a uh, a quote from the the poem "If" by uh, Rudyard Kipling. Um, it's if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, if you can meet triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. So this is I don't know a little bit of stiff upper upper lip upper lipness. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it is useful that there is a a thing that is almost titanic in nature that is bearing down upon us, and it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, but there is a a need, a, a bit of a courage. Maybe we can go into Aristotle here and the Golden Mean about what 
is um, required of us in the moment. And uh, regardless of the odds and the, the chances that are out there to do the right thing, to um, come about this in a, uh, a just manner. So if we're going to go to yeah. Aristotle, we have this idea of the golden mean and what is to be courageous. And he puts on a, a spectrum between that person who cowers while all the rest of the city are uh, out fighting and defending it from uh, an invader versus that one guy who, who runs out away from the group and right into a, a group of, you know, maybe 400 enemy soldiers. Yeah, for thinking, the sake of glory or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and so that that's yeah. recklessness. Rashness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that golden mean of, of sitting there and doing what you need to do, but don't just throw it all away. Yeah, and you know, there's, there is a cognitive component to Aristotle's discussion of courage as well. He talks about um, the courageous person does fear, but they, they fear, you know, things that it makes sense to fear. So the things that, that people naturally find quite uh, fear-inducing, like, you know, if a tornado's bearing down in you, um, it, it makes perfect sense to be filled with fear. But mm-hmm. you, could, you could still actually, like get the the children into the uh, uh, cinder block area where they're mm-hmm. likely to survive or something like that, even though you're filled with, with, with fear. Uh, you don't allow it to paralyze you. And this kind of brings up our, our last week's uh, premeditato malorum. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ways to deal with fear. There's going to be fearful situations in your life. And if you have already thought about what those types of things could be and have thought of at least some plans, how you should be dealing with those interactions. It allows you to more easily find a uh, solution to that fearful situation. Yeah. And last week we talked about it. So we we used the term premonitatio malorum, which is Latin term meaning sort of thinking ahead about bad things that that could happen. Um, And last week we called it negative visualization. Um, and so, you know, those are essentially, you know, interchangeable. And, and what do you do? Well, you can do it ahead of time, but we can also do it in a crisis that we're in mm-hmm. and we can think about, so let's say we, we start, you start coughing, right? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's a, it's a dry cough and, oh, I feel like I've got a fever. And now you start feeling a, you know, a, a sense of fear growing mm-hmm. within you, maybe even a sense of panic or a sense of, of, of serious anxiety, you can say to yourself, okay, um, what is the worst case scenario? I get really, really sick. I'm going to die. Um, they're not going to have a respirator for me because it's been taken somewhere else and all of that. And then you can think to yourself, okay, what, what's going to happen because of that, right? It's in a way, it's sort of like thinking about cause and effect mm-hmm. beyond just the thing that tends to hold our attention and captivate us. Mm-hmm. We, we place it in a, in another context and, um, you know, odds are you're probably not going to die. Right. And okay, you, you might get really sick and maybe you're going to lose your job. And because of that, um, you're not going to be able to pay the rent for that month. And that's pretty bad, right? Yeah. Um, but it's not the end of the world and mm-hmm. it is remediable. And there probably are some things that you can appeal to or find some, some resources. Well, um, can I, comes to uh, another quote that I have prepared oh, good. for this one, which is, it is not the things that disturb men, oh, yeah. but their judgments about them. For example, death is nothing catastrophic. 
or else Socrates too would have thought so, rather the judgment that death is catastrophic. This is the catastrophic thing. So this is by Epictetus. Yeah, and that's that's um, that saying, I mean, you could say, well, what would Socrates say, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like the WWJD thing. Right. But you could do that with all sorts of others. What would Marcus Aurelius say? Or what would Aristotle say? Um, and, it, and there's the sort of like, well, the great sage tells us that mm-hmm. part to it. But there's also the fact that, hey, if they could do it, we could do it. There's nothing absolutely necessary about us reacting in the way that we do, even though we tell ourselves, oh, I have to be fearful. Mm-hmm. I, or not not just fearful. I have to be fearful in this way and then do these actions like going out and, and getting as much toilet paper as possible and not allowing there to be toilet paper for others. You yeah, know? We, don't, we don't want to fall into the fallacy of authority here yeah. when you're making this decision, but definitely if you look at it as a roadmap of these people have been able to do it and be calm and wise That's, about it, then you know, that allows us to... We, there, there's precedent. That's a good way to put it. They're almost like uh, what we call pathfinders, mm, right? You're right. Um, they, they, they forge a road that we can then travel on ourselves if we choose to. And that's mm-hmm. part of it. We have to actually choose to do things that way. Oh, and I just wanted to say, because I, I did bring up the fallacy from authority. Oh, the yeah. fallacy from authority is a, uh, a logical fallacy. doesn't mean that the argue, the conclusion is incorrect, but the way that you get to the conclusion is incorrect. And the incorrect conclusion, or the way that's incorrect is that just because someone in authority says something does not mean that that is the correct thing. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to, to describe it. And, and you know, it doesn't mean that we have to reject all authority as well. Right. Yeah, we, we don't want to say like, oh, you know, all the medical professionals say that we should wash our hands. I'm like, no, the, I don't care about those authority. I'll not wash my hands. We should yeah, probably. You don't have to prove it to yourself <laughs> entirely. There's, there's some things that we can take on trust mm-hmm. and should take on trust. You know, actually, that's another thing where we could bring up Epictetus as well. He, um, you know, the Stoics are known for like, establishing what the the thing they're going to do is and then sticking with it right and right. Like persevering and there's a there's a, a thing in epictetus discourses where he's confronted with a guy who has decided to starve himself to death and epictetus goes up to him and he says what's wrong with you and the guy's like hey i made a decision i'm sticking with it <laughs> and epictetus says Listen, you dummy, that's not stoicism. That you know, just just sticking with a stupid decision, that's not <laughs> actually the thing to do. You have to have a good, rational decision and then you stick with it. It's not, you know, he calls it just stubbornness or obstinacy is mm-hmm. how it's often translated. Aristotle actually has a discussion of that too in the Nicomachean Ethics. Um, when he's talking about people who follow through on on things that they've decided to do, and following through is generally good. But not if you picked something stupid to follow through on. Right. <laughs> you know, then, then you're actually better <laughs> off being what he what he calls a cratic or you know having weakness of will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this is going to be time for our uh, practice here. Yeah, yeah. So our practice this week is uh, taking a pause, otherwise known as uh, bracketing or epoche. Yeah, in ancient Greek, epoche literally um, pulling yourself back from something. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something that you find running throughout not just early Western philosophy and also medieval and, and modern philosophy. It's also found in a lot of 
non-Western philosophical and religious traditions as well. Think about the role it plays in Buddhism as well, right? Mm -hmm. And it's called by a lot of different names, but the basic idea is that instead of reacting immediately and automatically to things, you pause and you, you, you give yourself a moment and you say, are things actually the way that they appear to me or not? And a lot of people don't like to do this because they they want to you know they want to react right away. And, well, and a lot of people don't even know that you can do it. That's true. Yeah, and it's liberating to be able to do this mm-hmm. because it means that you don't have to be driven by you know what what the ancient Greeks would call appearances or impressions, things mm-hmm. that impinge upon us. We often do react to things in a kind of automatic way. And I'll give an example. So, you know, I'm looking at Twitter and I see somebody um, criticizing something that I like or, you know, praising something that I don't like. And, you know, and I, you know, I think, oh, I wish it had a dislike button so I could push that, you know, 20 Mm -hmm. times. Okay. Well, that's, that's probably a stupid reaction. (laughs) That's not going to, that's actually not particularly helpful or Mm -hmm. rational. And, you know, if I, if I take a pause I can do a lot of different things within that pause. But one thing I'm not doing is automatically thinking or choosing or, or doing or saying something. And then in that pause, you know, there's a lot of options. I can analyze why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I can remind myself of something that I resolve to do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of options you could say. I, I find this really interesting, especially there's the, I don't know if you call it a meme, sure it's a meme, um, of the, um, my my emotions are valid, which is totally like a, a correct statement, but to, oh, to yeah, yeah. take the next step yeah. to, um, I, my emotions are valid, so I don't need to analyze my emotions, and I'm just going to follow where they go. Um, I think is a a poor next decision there. Yeah, and it is a decision, right? Mm -hmm. And people conceal from themselves the fact that they they are choosing it, that they're responsible for it. So who can do this practice? Well, anybody can. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you were saying, a lot of people don't realize that they can. It's not it's not easy to do in every situation, Mm -hmm. although the more you practice it, the better you get at it, right? Yeah. So, So... what is the the best uh, reason why to do this? So short term, what you're doing is keeping yourself out of various types of trouble, um, and it could be like actually like keeping yourself from getting arrested, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, ruining a relationship, uh, getting Should I fired. punch the cop? Maybe, yeah, not. yeah, exactly, <laughs> or, or flip them off. You know, yeah, that's also that'll get you in a lot of trouble too. Sometimes, <laughs> depending on who the cop is and right. what they're feeling that day, um, they might have an automatic response, right? Um, so, so, so short term, it, it helps to keep us out of trouble at a very baseline level, but it also offers us the opportunity to figure out what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and longer term, it, it's, it's, it's something that you need to do in order to be able to do other philosophical or what we sometimes mm-hmm. call spiritual practices. If you don't have the self-control to be able to just stop and pause and um, figure out what, what's going on, well, you, you can't do, you know, other things when you need to. And another part of the, the long-term benefit is like, at first it's very difficult. It takes, it takes a lot to say, okay, stop, you know, evaluate. And, but the more and more that you do it kind of like, you know, your, um, 
idea of like you are what you repeatedly do. Once you get to the point where this has become your standard response to stop and and evaluate, yeah. Um, this this allows uh such a um beautiful way of, of interacting with the world instead of just kind of going along for the ride. Yeah, it helps you see more of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And it helps you see more of not just yourself but other people. If you pause then the person who anger might have led you into automatically writing off, you can actually kind of like see who they are and where they're coming from and maybe be empathetic to them. You might still say, well, they're, they're still wrong and, and I need to you know avoid them or something like that. But now you have a, a good reason to do it. You're not just simply responding. Yeah, and, and so when is this practice useful? Ideally all the time, right? <laughs> Although you wouldn't want to just be like doing, you know, every single thing you automatically bracket it because we have to, we have to live a life. Right. And there are some things where you probably do want to like throw yourself in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and go along with the flow. If you're, you know, uh, romantically entangled with somebody in the throes of passion, I don't think you need to like pause and say, oh, what am I feeling right here? <laughs> that might ruin the moment. Uh, well, it kind of depends. <laughs> Are you already in a relationship with someone else? Do they know about this other relationship that you're well, starting those, off? Those, those are other factors. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but like, oh, I'm in the throes of passion. Maybe yeah. I should stop for a moment and consider, reconsider. I think if, if those are the sorts of questions that are occurring to you, you pro- yeah, you're probably right. Or, or um, you probably also had a couple of other moments that you should have been exactly, evaluating yeah, earlier. Before you got there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's something that, when we get into so like situations that we're in now, like um, we're we're in this big, messy pandemic situation that is causing a lot of fear and anxiety for people, and when they start feeling overcome by that, they can take that pause. They can say, "Okay, I don't have to react to my fear. I can just like feel the fear and like take a look at it and see what's what's you know triggering this for me and." Um, how much fear I'm feeling at this mm-hmm. time. And then it could also be good for, you might, so that's like, a, you might you call it a chronic thing. Then we could talk about it like acute instances, right? Where mm-hmm. something happens and like, so let's say you're sitting next to somebody on the bus and suddenly they're coughing next to you and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's useful then. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say uh, uh, <laughs> something that's happening in a lot of workplaces. Anybody coughs, anybody sneezes, mm-hmm. everybody's worried. Right. Right. So maybe you take a pause then and you remind yourself, okay, odds are they're, they have allergies or mm-hmm. they're sick or with something else. Um, so that, that could be helpful. And you could also do it as a practice um, with things that are much more low stakes. Yeah, like uh, watching TV. You can go yeah. and, and watch, you know, your your choice of uh, 24-hour news networks and listen to the talking oh, heads. Yeah, that could actually be a good practice because they're guaranteed to say something that you will react to. Right. right. So, so practice on someone that you don't actually are actively interacting with. Then. Yeah, and you could, you could actually do that in the places where you're stuck watching TV, mm-hmm. like the doctor's office, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> Where somebody's got it cranked up real high and it's some, you know, daytime show. Yeah, that would yeah. work. Um, well, so, it looks like it's time to start thinking about wrapping up. So yeah. what, what, any, any last thoughts? Um, fear is a hell of a drug. Uh, How so? That's an interesting one to go out on. Yeah, just that um, it, 
in the idea that uh, a drug changes one's perspective on the world, okay. a lot of times, you know, your, your perception has been altered to a certain extent. Yeah. And, and especially when there's mass fear that it results in really, uh, outsized, uh, actions. And people yeah. can become kind of addicted to it. You could say, right. Oh, yeah. And I'm going. We're guy. Have a good day. Bye.